and welcome in to the mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson, and we've got a lot to get into on the show today. No draft stuff because it is currently about quarter to five on Thursday, so the draft has not happened yet when I'm recording this, but fear not. I will have a full, massive draft recap on the show for next Tuesday. I have already lined that up. I've got a couple of guests coming in, and we are just going to break down the entire thing to open the show on Tuesday. So I have no opinion on the draft just yet because I haven't seen it yet. But there's a lot of other stuff to talk about. So we are going to get into that, and we're going to start with League because League of Legends probably going to be off the next couple weeks because the North American spring split does not start until May 16th. So still a couple weeks away from North American League of Legends returning in any real capacity. But there is some news. MSI is canceled, which I think we all knew was coming. I hope they go through with that LA plan for next year because that is really cool. Because, let's be real here, like, having the early rounds of MSI all over LA, and then you have the Grand Finals at the Forum. Heck, if you put the semis and the Grand Finals at the Forum, you have an amazing tournament. (laughs) Or if you don't do the Forum, you do Staples Center. Because it's bigger. And more than likely, by next May, that won't be a problem. (laughs) So, still a couple weeks away from the LCS returning, but MSI getting canceled, it really sucks because I was really looking for forward to that uh, Cloud9G2 matchup that was probably going to be either the semis or the finals. Because, I mean, if Team Liquid could do it, could do it and make the finals last year, this Cloud9 team could absolutely make the finals of MSI because... This Cloud9 team would walk all over last year's Team Liquid. Like, guaranteed. This year's Cloud9 would stomp last year's Liquid. No question in my mind. So they would probably... So if you go back in time with with this year's Cloud9 and make them play in Liquid's place at MSI 2019, they probably still lose to G2, because G2 was on a roll last year. But I think they get to the finals even easier than than Team Liquid did. And I just rewatched that match last night. Liquid stomped IG last year. (laughs) So Cloud9 would have probably done even more damage. If if IG played the same way, I mean, obviously they played because they they played that way because they got cocky and Liquid took advantage, and by then it was too late. That was plainly obvious with that matchup from last year. But I really wanted to see Cloud9 versus G2 because that would be... That probably would have been the final. And it would have been a very good final. It probably would have gone to five. I think G2 maybe still wins that one, but it's close. It's very close. It, it, it is not like what G2 did to Liquid last year in the finals, where they just 
you know, the uh, the fastest win in a best of five series in the history of International League of Legends. I don't think you get another version of that. I think you get a very competitive series, something that looked more like G2 versus SKT last year which was just back and forth the entire way until a huge play swung it in G2's favor in Game 5. So, yeah, I think... I'm I'm really disappointed we're missing out on that match. I mean, it'll obviously happen at some point at Worlds. It's just way less likely, because at worst, G2 is going to be the two-seed from Europe at Worlds. And... Cloud Nine's probably going to be the one seed for North America. <laughs> so I don't see them really getting put in the same group at Worlds because that would just be mean. I mean, if that does happen, that's guaranteed group of death. I don't care who the other teams are. That's that's group of death right there. But they're, they're both at worst going to be the two seeds from their respective regions at Worlds this year. And and speaking of Worlds, they made some changes to the format for this year. Now, it's because it's because of the lack of MSI and because uh two of the two of the smaller leagues, the LMS and the LST, they merged into one league. They they merged into, I believe, the PCS. Yeah, because PCS is the new one. They merged into the PCS. So the PCS now gets two. But that leaves that leaves some spots open. And they they messed with it a little bit. And now the LPL and the LEC, China and Europe, they are both going to get four spots at Worlds. And let's let's be real here. That makes sense. Because since Worlds 2018, heck, really since since MSI 2018, overall Europe has performed better than Korea. Europe has been the second best region in the world. Because, think about it. MSI 2018 went to RNG. Worlds 2018. Invictus. MSI 2019. G2. Worlds 2019. FPX. That is three Chinese teams, one European team. The last four major tournaments. Why is Korea getting four spots when they haven't won a major tournament since worlds of 2017. Right. I mean, there's still a dominant region. They still get three. Same as North America, North America and Korea both get three teams at worlds this year. Southeast Asia and Vietnam get two. And then Brazil, Turkey, Japan, Latin America, Oceania, and Russia get one each. Okay. That's still 24 teams. 
it's not like they're adding more teams to the the tournament pool. They're it's the same number. It's still 24. It has been 24 for a very for a few years now and I don't see them adding any I don't see them expanding into 32 really anytime soon because I mean even even the third seed North American team is usually not that great. The third seed North American team usually has to play in play-ins. So if you're adding a third to like Southeast Asia or Vietnam, or you're giving Oceania a second or Russia a second, is that really a good idea? I don't think so. No, you still have, because if you expand to 32, you're just diluting the the talent pool at Worlds even more. 24 is fine. 24 is 100% okay. And makes it similar enough to the world. Actually, the World Cup is 32. But no, it 24 is fine. And they're not adding more. They're not changing the format any. They're just reseeding the teams. And if you're going to have regions getting four teams into the tournament, China and Europe are your best bet. China is your last two world champ your your last two world champions and one of your last two MSI winners. Those are your big tournaments. <laughs> That's it. You're not like CSGO where you have multiple majors scattered throughout the year or Dota where you have multiple majors scattered throughout the year but TI is the only one that matters. No, you have two. You have MSI and you have Worlds and Worlds is more important than MSI. So I totally get China getting four teams in there. I totally get Europe getting four teams. Really, I'm glad North America is still getting three because there were some very real conversations going on after Worlds last year that North America should not be considered a major region (laughs) and should only get two teams into Worlds every year. which uh, I don't necessarily like. Hopefully these improved NA teams can turn that around. They have they have what 7 months to uh to figure it out <laughs> and to find out who their three world's representatives are. I mean, right now Cloud9 is the one seed from NA. They are the one seed from NA at Worlds this year until proven otherwise. I think with double lift on the team, TSM will improve significantly. And they're probably your two. And then your third comes down to EG, FlyQuest, and 100 Thieves. Those are going to be your three teams that are fighting for that third world spot. I don't know which one's going to get it. I think right now I would say FlyQuest, but I wouldn't be surprised to see EG or 100 Thieves take that third spot either. Just a matter of how the bracket and everything shakes out when it comes to the end of the summer split, which is several months away. <laughs> what? It's what, four months from now? So we, uh, we got a while to figure that one out. Got a long time to figure that one out, but I'm... I'm legitimately excited for 
the summer split because I think you're going to get a lot better out of, uh, out of the teams than you got in spring because there was a shocking level of mediocrity in, in the spring split this year. Cloud nine dominated. FlyQuest was pretty good. Everybody else sucked. I don't think that'll be the case in summer. I think cloud nine is still going to be ridiculously dominant. They will probably still be just as dominant, but the gap between them and second place will not be as big. The gap between second and third place might be pretty big, but there will be more teams fighting for third place. So it all, it all kind of balances out. That is still, I would still consider that parity. If you have one ridiculously dominant team, a second team who's right on their heels and could beat them, given the right circumstances, and then a bunch of teams fighting for third, that's parody. It's not great parody, but it's better than what we had in spring. So that's what I think we're going to end up looking at for summer. But that's still, like I said, that's still a couple weeks off, so there won't be a whole lot of League of Legends talk on the show the next couple weeks unless there's some there's some uh, roster changes going down in the LCS. But that's what I've got for League of Legends. It sucks that MSI is canceled. I was really looking forward to that tournament and the fact that it would be in California, so time difference is only three hours rather than like 10 or 11 like it was last year. I really like that. But that's it for League. Up next, got some Overwatch action. And thank God they're playing on the actual weekends again. That's up next here on The Mashup. All right. That was it for League. Time for some Overwatch. And like I said, I am glad they're doing Saturday and Sunday games. Because that Thursday-Friday thing was was not good. I really didn't like that. That that just like messed everything up and it was it was weird. My internal clock is already jacked beyond repair. Having Overwatch League games on Thursday and Friday night made it a million times worse. But the North American friendly matchups are actually really compelling. And the fact that New York Excelsior is playing again, and they're playing in Asia. They're playing, they're playing Guangzhou and Chengdu this week. They're actually playing Chengdu first, but those are those are pretty interesting matchups because those are reasonably good teams. New York has been pretty good in the games they have played so far. They haven't played a whole lot of games, but they've been good in the ones they have played. But the other American matchups are really compelling because Atlanta Rain versus Philadelphia Fusion and San Francisco Shock versus LA Valiant on Saturday. Those are those both have the potential to be very, very good. And with the way the hero pools are this week, I could see some crazy coming out from all four of those teams, really. The Asian teams will obviously do something nuts because they always do just the most insane things. 
But, I mean, my prediction in Fusion Rain is obvious. Fusion are 100% going to win that one because they've they've played Atlanta so many times, it feels like, and they've beaten them every single time. I I don't really see a scenario where Atlanta can beat Philly because Philly has just been so dominant all season long, both in person and online. They've been super dominant the entire time. And I haven't seen anything from them to make me think that is going to change. I think they're going to continue dominating whatever teams they can actually play. Hopefully before the end of the season, they'll they'll be able to play Seoul. I don't know how that would necessarily work. Maybe because they canceled all the homestands for the rest of the year. So even if we get an all clear for them to play in person, they won't. Hopefully they can do something. Hopefully they could, because I don't know what they did to Blizzard Arena. Hopefully before the end of the season, they can maybe go back to Blizzard Arena with at least some of the teams. That'd be nice. Get a get a small crowd in there. Blizzard Arena is not a huge venue by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it's in LA, so that might cause that might cause some issues. But I want to see I want to see the Fusion play uh Seoul and Shanghai because as of right now, they're the three best teams in the league. I want to see them play each other. <laughs> Because Seoul's going to play Shanghai probably a few times before the season's over. No one in Philly's region that they can really play is on their level? Like, at all? Like, one of the one of the Philly homestand events was meant to be, like, an East and West Coast American team against all the Asian teams. And I think London was supposed to be there, too. Like, it was... Uh, it was like the the cross it was like a cross conference battle for all of the games that weekend and i'm really disappointed that's probably not going to happen just because the ping of playing across the entire north american continent and the pacific ocean would be horrendous it'd be unplayable so i get why they can't do that but i want to see philly play Seoul and Shanghai. Like, Seoul and Shanghai are going to play each other this weekend, and that's going to be nuts. Because they're two of the three best teams in the league. I don't know where they rank up next to the Fusion, because they haven't played each other and probably won't for a long time. It's... I don't get it. It's... I really... I really don't get it. I get why they're, they're doing it, but I hope maybe later on in the season, because... We've still got months of season left. We've got we've got almost four full months of season left. Hopefully by the end of it, they can find some way for the North American and European teams to play the Asian teams. And not just New York and Vancouver, because they're currently living in Korea. Because they're all Korean rosters. No, the 
the teams that are currently housed in North America playing the teams that are currently housed in Asia. Because I think I think Paris are actually in the US. I don't know about I don't know what London's doing, but I think Paris is in the US because they've been playing they've been playing Philly. Like their last game was against Florida. I think they played Philly before that. Yeah, they played Philly before that. So they are able to play against teams on the U.S. East Coast, which tells me they are probably on the U.S. East Coast. Hopefully they can figure something out before the end of the season. As far as the other games this weekend, Florida versus Boston has the potential to be absolutely hilarious. Because Florida's been slowly improving, but they're still not that great. And Boston, like I mentioned many times on the show before, is just terrible. The Boston Uprising are absolutely terrible. They have the potential to be very similar to the 2018 Shanghai Dragons. They will finish with a better record. (laughs) But I think they win maybe one more game the rest of the season if they're lucky. And I don't think it's this weekend against Florida. I think Florida's their best chance because Florida's another bad team. Or I think they could maybe beat maybe beat Dallas if they got really, really lucky. But they're not gonna beat they're not gonna beat Philly. They're not gonna beat Atlanta. I I don't see how they really get another win the rest of the season unless the other team just has an absolutely horrendous game and they get really, really lucky. But because it's two bad teams and there's no tanking in Overwatch League, that game has the potential to be absolutely hilarious. I hope it delivers because that would be really funny. When two bad teams go at it, you get some incredible moments. I don't think anything will top that. I don't think anything will top Boston versus Houston one. Maybe ever in the history of Overwatch. But Florida versus Boston this weekend could come close. And then the last game on Sunday, Houston versus Dallas is actually an underrated good game. Like Houston and Dallas have been slowly improving the past couple weeks. They've had a few slip ups, both of them, but they are better than they were at the beginning of the season. They've, like, Houston went 2-0 their their last weekend out uh, two weeks ago. That's pretty good. They're, and Dallas got a big win over Washington Justice, who I have, like I've said, have lost all faith in to do anything at all this season. So it's, so that game could actually turn out to be really good. It's still two middle-of-the-road teams at best, but they are fighting to get those lower playoff spots, and I think that's going to be an interesting fight between the two of them to watch for the rest of the season. So that keep your eye on that one. That game could actually turn out to be really interesting. This, this whole shift to online has made... A big change for Overwatch League, and I I hate it. 
I hate that they have to deal with it because this was supposed to be their big year and they had been doing really well to start the the seasons like the homestands had been ridiculously successful but it's just a matter of really bad timing and really bad luck because I I haven't seen the viewership numbers on the online matches from what I've seen they've been pretty okay but those those ticket sales would have been huge to to help Overwatch League along into its next season. I think if they can get to next year, they'll be doing great because I think more than a few teams are going to have dedicated arenas to them next year. Like the Fusion are obviously going to have that beautiful, beautiful arena on Broad Street that I am really excited to go to. If I want the Fusion to open the season next year, I really hope they get to because that I've seen the mock-ups of that arena. I want to go to it so bad. <laughs> I've already been to two of the three in that parking lot. I want to be able to go to three of the four. <laughs> Hopefully tickets aren't as expensive as they were this year. They were really expensive this year. They were like 75 bucks each and they were selling. That's the thing. Those ridiculously expensive tickets were selling. So I feel really bad that this happened in such a crucial year for the league. And they have done really well with what they have to work with. And I think as the season goes on, maybe they will be able to get something resembling what they used to do back because I really want to see Philly versus Seoul and Shanghai. I really want to see that match happen because that's a clash of Titans that needs to happen just because they're easily the best teams in the league. It's just a matter of them figuring it out and hopefully being able to get those teams into the same country somehow. I don't know how that's going to work. I That's why they don't pay me the big bucks to uh, figure stuff like that out. But I'm still going to enjoy the matches this weekend nonetheless. Hopefully you guys will too. Let me know what you think about them on Twitter, at RealPatterson50, at Mashup underscore pod. But that's it for Overwatch League. Up next, a very promising schedule from the Call of Duty League for the Chicago Home Series. That's up next here on the Mashup. Another segment, another eSport, COD League. I've been looking forward to the Chicago Home Series all season long. I hate that it's not actually going to be in Chicago, but next year when COD League can go back to having in-person matches next year's Chicago home series is going to be the hottest crowd in the history of esports. It'll be between them and Minnesota next year. As far as ridiculously hot crowds in call of duty league, like that's going to be absolutely insane. (laughs) And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm disappointed. It's not happening this year because just the idea of, Old Optic and 
new optic, fake optic, whatever you want to call them, being at the same event, as well as phase. Oh my god. <laughs> the storylines write themselves. Because Chicago versus OGLA, it writes itself. It's who's the true optic. If you want my opinion, I think the true optic is still the Huntsman, despite the fact that they are NRG. I mean, Hector's in charge, Scump and Formal are on the team, they wear green. They're optic. <laughs> OGLA has the name, but they don't have the spirit. Like, I've said that on the show before. I said that in the Welcome to Esports blog. Like, they may call themselves optic, but they are not the true optic. But the storyline still writes itself because. Oh, I'm so disappointed this match isn't happening in front of a crowd. That would have been nuts. Same thing with both of those teams versus Atlanta. Because, I mean, there were probably Optic fans who didn't jump ship to Chicago. And Optic LA versus Atlanta phase would have brought out the same insane rivalry as... As... uh, as old optic versus old phase guaranteed absolutely guaranteed and you also have dallas empire there who are the third best team in the league behind atlanta and chicago so multiple different storylines coming in here and you've got new york subliners and la gorillas who absolutely suck and are looking to improve uh good good luck with that one new york you're you're taking on Chicago. I, I don't see things going too well for you. But crazier things have happened, especially with the Switch to online. But, I mean, they're Chicago. <laughs> they're still really good. They've been struggling a little bit the past couple of weeks, but I do not see them losing to New York Subliners. Like, I just don't see that happening. And we get a we get a more than likely second round matchup of Chicago Huntsman versus Atlanta Phase in the round two matchups on Saturday. Sign me up. A possible second round matchup between those two. Yeah. Yeah, give me that. Give me all of that. Group B, uh significantly weaker. And it's a shame that probably the two best teams in the group are matched up against each other in the first round because looking at that group, I think empire and OGLA are the two better best teams in group B. Now that gap between Dallas and OGLA is a lot bigger than the gap between OGLA and Seattle, but they are still the two best teams in the group and they have to play each other first. They will probably play each other again in They'll probably play each other again. But at the same time, like, let's be real here. Dallas is winning that series. Seattle's probably going to beat the Gorillas, too. Just because Seattle are better than Los Angeles Gorillas. Gorillas Gorillas and Toronto are the two worst teams in the league. New York is right there with them, but LAG and Toronto Ultra are easily the two worst. Like, from what I've seen the entire season, that's absolutely the case. They are the two worst teams in the league. 
New York is bad. But they're not that bad. <laughs> but unlike their uh, their brother league, COD League had a lot of technical issues in their first online event. They had a lot of technical issues, both with the game itself and the broadcast. Hopefully, in the last two weeks, they have worked to figure that out. <laughs> if Atlanta is that, or if the Royal Ravens are actually playing from London, that is going to cause some real problems. That is going to cause some very real problems. I think the same thing happened uh, last weekend, or two weeks ago with Paris. Because, like, the connection issues were just absolutely insane. I think... But, I mean, the Royal Ravens connection issues don't matter that much because they're probably the fifth best team at this event. I think, and I think OGLA have improved enough to be considered the fourth best team here. Because the Royal Ravens have uh, have dropped off considerably since the London Home Series. The London Home Series was great. That crowd was incredible. That crowd was so good. And the Copper Box is a great venue for esports. But I think the Royal Ravens are the fifth best team at this event. So their connection issues probably don't matter all that much. Because they're probably going to... I mean, they'll probably they'll probably beat New York in the losers match, but even if they win the losers match, they have to play either Chicago or Atlanta in the knockout round. More than likely. If if the matchups go chalk, if the matchups go chalk, they lose to Atlanta and New York loses to Chicago. They play each other in the losers round. London wins. And then London plays the winner of Atlanta, Chicago. Or no, London plays the loser of Atlanta, Chicago. So either way, they're running into one of the two best teams in the league after they just lost to the other top two team in the league. So yeah, London is more than likely not going to make it past the second round on Saturday. But that's just my prediction. I have been very wrong about the COD League before, but I'm pretty confident in that one. That both Chicago and Atlanta are more than capable of beating London. And Chicago is more than capable of beating New York. The only one that I really have a question mark on is Seattle Surge versus Los Angeles Gorillas. If Gorillas can force that to map five, they could win it because Seattle continues to choke on map five. I don't know what it is about them in map five. Maybe they're just not that good at search, but Seattle cannot win map five. I really don't get it. If Los Angeles can force it to map five, they can win. But they have to force it to map five. They could probably win map two because, like I said, Seattle's bad at search. But I don't think they're good enough at hard point or domination to get another win 
on maps one, three, or four. So I think, I think your, your second, your second set of matches on Saturday is probably Atlanta versus Chicago and New York versus London in group A. And in group B, you've got optic versus Seattle or Dallas versus Seattle and optic versus Los Angeles girls. You got LA versus LA again. And then I think uh, Dallas, Dallas probably beats Seattle and optic beats gorillas. Like that's, these are pretty easy to predict, but there are so many juicy matchups you can get out of this because any combination of Chicago, Atlanta, and Dallas in the finals is going to be compelling no matter what. And that's more than likely who's going to get there just because there's no Minnesota or Florida at this one to really challenge anybody from the top three. I mean, something crazy could happen, but I think it's more likely when you have an actual like top five team like Minnesota or Florida. Because like Florida proved themselves at Dallas two weeks ago. Like they really proved themselves. The fact that they played that well without Pristini who I thought was the key to everything they could possibly do. But with no Florida and no Minnesota, I don't see the other teams at this event really being able to challenge Chicago, Atlanta, or Dallas in any meaningful way. You'll probably get good games out of a lot of these matchups, but the better team on paper is probably going to come out on top. Something could go crazy with the online setup, but... I don't think it'll do enough to affect the really good teams. And they've had two weeks to to figure the technical aspect out, so it'll probably be a lot smoother than it was two weeks ago. But I'm definitely excited for this series. I wish it was in front of the crowd in Chicago. That would have been absolutely insane. That would have been so good. And the potential for what the hype battles could have been, I mean, the hype battles usually fell flat, but you could get some big names in that thing that made it at least semi-interesting to watch. Like, the phase tournament for the Atlanta weekend, that was great. That was a really good idea. Hopefully when they... Hopefully when COD League does come back next year and does actual events, they do something more like the the phase tournament rather than just picking random celebrities (laughs) to... uh, to play gunfight against each other. But we'll see. I'm I'm still excited for the future of COD League. I think they have done enough to earn themselves a second season. And hopefully another pandemic does not strike the entire planet, forcing them to move back online. But that's a conversation for next year. So enjoy the Chicago Home Series this weekend, Call of Duty fans. I think you'll get a pretty good one. But that's it for COD League. Up next, talking some more Valorant. That's up next here on the Mashup. All right. Another segment. Time to talk some Valorant. It has been absolutely, like I said on the Wednesday show, it has been absolutely blowing up. And for good reason. 
every big streamer is playing it and loving it, and none of them got paid by Riot to promote it. So that's saying a whole lot right there. Not a single one of the big streamers who have been gushing over Valorant for the past two weeks got paid by Riot to promote the game at all. They just invited them to come play it and gave them access to stream drops, which, let's be real, did indirectly get them a whole lot of money. <laughs> like, I heard a story about Summon running a bunch of ads, like three ad, three or four ads back to back to back on his stream when he had over a quarter of a million viewers. Let's be real. He probably made a hu- about $100,000 in 90 seconds by doing that. But still, because a lot of those people were there to get drops and to watch him play because he's been one of the really good players in the early goings of the game because he was an old CS guy and he was very, very good at CS. And he's also really good at Valorant because... 85% CS, 15% Overwatch. And even if you don't necessarily know how the abilities work, if you're really good with your guns, you'll be fine. And unless you're an Apex player and you learn how to be really good with your abilities and pretty good with your guns, because Team Apex won the ESPN tournament. I did not see that coming. I had Apex picked as maybe the third or fourth team, depending on where you want to rank the Rainbow Six guys. Like, I had the Devs and CS, basically 1A and 1B. Then Rainbow Six, because let's be real, it's at the it's the next step on the spectrum from CS to Overwatch. Uh, I, I call it the uh, the tactical to hero spectrum. At one end, at the tactical end, you've got CS. There's a hundred percent tactical. There is no hero shooter aspect to it at all. It is all realistic. Then you've got Valorant, slightly less realistic, unique characters, unique abilities, but still super realistic gunplay. The next one over, you're getting a little bit closer to Overwatch is Siege. Still pretty realistic gunplay, but slightly less realistic character abilities. And then, at the very end of the spectrum, you have Overwatch, where the guns don't really matter all that much. It is mostly about character abilities and knowing when to use them. So, I figured the rankings would probably go CS and Devs, 1A, 1B. Siege, Overwatch, Apex, PUBG, Fortnite League. I was correct about Fortnite and League. <laughs> I was not correct about uh, Siege being better than Overwatch. I was, And I was not correct about uh, Siege and Overwatch and everyone else and, and Devs and CS being better than Apex. Because the Apex guys beat the Devs and they beat the CS guys. <laughs> and when they beat the CS guys, it was a best of three. It wasn't like it was a total fluke where... It was back and forth, and they just happened to win round 25. And that wasn't even the case against the devs. It was pretty close, but they were clearly the better team against the devs, and they were even more clearly the better team against the CS guys. 
Because the CS guys won game one. It was still pretty close, but they they fought back and they won game one. Then in games two and three, the Apex guys just asserted their will. They were the better team in games two and three. And credit to them. That was really fun to watch. The guys at ESPN who set that whole thing up and the fact that the commentators were basically scattered all over the country for the semifinal matchups. Like Jake, Jacob Wolf was in New York. Simo uh, was in Canada and the, the producer was in North Carolina and Valorant's observer mode is not great at the moment. <laughs> Like, the fact that they still put on an interesting-to-watch tournament with all those technical limitations, credit to the guys at ESPN for doing that. And for even putting this tournament together, because it provided some really great Valorant gameplay. And it also provided some great laughs watching the League of Legends guys try and fail to play an FPS. God, I feel bad for them. Like, they were included as a courtesy... I think just for being the other big riot game because legends of rude Terra does not have much of an esports scene just yet. Uh, TFT same thing does not have much of an esports scene at the moment. So I can see why they wanted to at least include the league of legends guys in the Valorant tournament, but they got absolutely destroyed. <laughs> they had no business being there. Double have played like hot garbage for for Team Rift. But I have to say, I was impressed by two guys more than any other. Because I already knew what AZK and Brax can do. I already knew what Hiko could do. I already knew what Skadoodle could do. Like, they're CS legends. Or, in the case of uh, Brax, formerly known as Swag, he's a little bit infamous and maybe the game's greatest what-if story ever, possibly one of the greatest what-if stories in all of esports. But this is his second chance, so he's hungry. So I knew he what they could do. I've seen plenty from them. Asu and Bustio. These guys really impressed me because I didn't think an Apex guy like Asu could go toe-to-toe with... Skadoodle, Hiko, Brax, nothing. Like, that was a stacked CS team. And he went toe-to-toe with all of them and was better than them. <laughs> and Bustio went toe-to-toe with Asu. So, like, if these guys don't have offers to play Valorant right now, heck, if they didn't have them last night during those games, these orgs were doing something wrong. <laughs> These orgs are doing something very wrong. I mean, Asu's already signed to NRG, so that is a little bit more complicated. I don't know that much about Bustio. I don't know if he's signed anywhere at the moment. I'll have to look that up. See if see if he is in fact signed anywhere. He he is signed, but he's currently playing with he's currently playing with a uh, 
contenders team. So they could... So he, him and Asu are both signed. Asu signed to NRG. So NRG better, uh, better make sure they lock him down as a pro Valorant player. Because I'm pretty sure he signed as a content creator. And if he were offered a pro contract, he could probably find a way to get out of that content creator contract. So hopefully for NRG's sake, they make a move to lock him down so they can dominate a third esport because why not you're already you're already reigning overwatch league champions and a title contender in cod league why not have a third ridiculously dominant team if you can get asu to be on your valorant team but if if i would start throwing money at boostio if i were an org because right now he's playing in contenders. He's probably not making a whole lot. You can probably buy him out of his contract if you really wanted to. And any org with any sense that wants to get into Valorant esports once they start should absolutely should try to get Bustio, even if you have to buy him out. I don't know what a buyout of his contract would necessarily look like. I know. Contenders contracts are not the biggest and it's probably very possible to pull off. It's just a matter of if his current org would use the fact that he really climbed the charts as a Valorant prospect because of that tournament as leverage to make that buyout a little bit higher. It's kind of scummy, but it's how business works. We'll have to see. If if NRG is smart, they'll they'll lock up Asu. I don't know if Bustio's org will be able to uh, say the same. They'll have to uh, they'll have to figure something out because big orgs are probably going to come calling. Maybe NRG. I could see NRG hundred thieves. Like I know a lot of orgs that have already worked with Riot are probably already in on some kind of Valorant esports scene that just hasn't been announced yet. I think you'll get some kind of announcement about it before the end of the year. I've said this before. You'll get some kind of announcement about some kind of official Riot-produced esports scene. I don't know if it'll be a carbon copy of the LCS. I don't necessarily know if that would be the best idea. Because that is not really at all what CSGO has. I mean, it's not what Dota has and League has the LCS. So maybe Riot just does things differently. But I'm very curious to see what this esports scene ends up looking like. If it looks more like CSGO or it looks more like the LCS. Because it could go either way right now. I don't think you want to do the LCS setup for a game like this though. At least not in its early days. I think you want to have... I think you want to have something like what the LCS used to look like before you franchised it. Or just do something like CSGO where you have big tournaments and you have to qualify for those tournaments at smaller events. 
I could definitely see that working a lot better with Valorant than it would with with League. But these early tournaments, they're not just good for entertainment for us to watch. They're they are great scouting grounds to find the players to seed the Valorant esports scene. Because let's be honest here, none of these guys are going to be the best Valorant players ever. They're just not. Because they are transplants from another game. No matter what game they come from. Whether they come from CS or they come from Overwatch, they come from Fortnite, they come from Apex, wherever they come from. They're not original Valorant players. They were Overwatch players who switched or or Fortnite players. I don't see them doing that well. Obviously, Apex players are much better than I gave them credit for. But the real, uh, this is, plenty of people have said it. The real best Valorant player ever is probably some 15-year-old Korean kid who has yet to play the game. Probably doesn't even know what his gamer tag is yet. Like, that is the real best Valorant player. <laughs> is some, some 15-year-old kid in Korea, hasn't played the game yet, because I don't even think they have the beta <laughs> in Korea. But he's the real best player in the history of that game. We don't even know his name yet. Because it's not going to be any of the guys who are popping off right now. I mean, they're good. They're really good. But they're not going to be Valorant's faker. Because was faker one of the guys who initially jumped over from Dota? No. (laughs) He was a guy who learned how to play League, got ridiculously good at it, and now he is the unkillable Demon King. Which is maybe the most metal nickname ever. So we don't even know the name of the best Valorant player ever. Not yet. It'll be a couple more years before before he shows up on the scene, and he'll probably have a very similar moment to uh, Faker just dunking on Ryu with Zed. Iconic League of Legends moment. Faker, what was that? And I'll have a similar call too. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's probably going to be some like ridiculous wall bang collateral on split with an operator. Like it's going to be, it's going to be gross, whatever it is. Like it's gonna be some like triple headshot wall bang <laughs> on right right through the right through the doors on uh on Haven. And it won't and they, they like won't be in a straight line, but he'll they won't be in a straight line, they'll be in a diagonal and he'll still somehow hit it. That's gonna be like the faker play. I'm I'm calling it now. That that's still two, three maybe even four years from now before we get that particular moment. But like I said, if Bustio and Asu aren't getting Valorant offers, especially Asu from NRG, he should just have a pro Valorant contract handed to him right now if he wants it. <laughs> because NRG would be dumb to not give him one. But... That's all I've got for Valorant. What did you guys think of the ESPN Invitational? I really enjoyed it. 
as and as an aspiring member of the esports media myself, it was really cool to see a guy like Simo who had been grinding since the beginning of the beta get his opportunity to call such a major tournament and he was on a call for the best games in the game's history so far. Like those games are going to go down in Valorant history and his voice is the uh his voice is the soundtrack to a lot of those early Valorant moments. So I got to say that's pretty cool and it was really cool of ESPN to actually give him a chance on commentary. Like I really like that and I hope I hope I can get an opportunity similar soon. I'm going to keep grinding. And if you guys keep listening to the show and sharing it around, maybe I'll get that chance. But that's it for Valorant. Up next, going to talk a little bit of uh, traditional sports news that is no longer trickling. It is, it is really starting to come through hard and fast, which gives me hope. But we'll get into that and then wrap up the show. That's up next here on the Mashup. Okay, one last segment before we wrap it up for the day and head into the weekend. And the traditional sports news is not really that much of a trickle anymore. It is coming as hard and as fast as it possibly can when no one's playing anything. But there is news to talk about, and I am so happy. Let's just say I have never been more excited for a game of golf in my entire life. Because, look. I have a respect for golf. I mentioned it on the show before. I come from a golf family. But I'm not one to watch that much golf outside of, you know, the majors. I'll I'll watch them. I'll watch a lot of the majors because usually there's some interesting storyline going on. Whether it was the Masters last year or a couple years ago, uh, a guy who played at Liberty and obviously went to Liberty, had a really great run at the U.S. Open. Like, those are the things that get my attention onto the majors. This one has my attention, though, because it's essentially a pro-am match with really high stakes. Because you've got Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods, possibly two of the best golfers of their generation, and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, possibly the two greatest quarterbacks of their generation, who are also reasonably good golfers, going up against each other, two-on-two. Sign me up. I never thought I would say that about a round of golf ever, but here we are. It is April of 2020, and I am excited for a golf match that is going to happen next month. I really like this. There's no date, time, or location announced. It's just announced that it's happening on TNT sometime in May. That's not a whole lot of information to go on, but at least it's something. (laughs) And it is a sign that stuff is slowly starting to come back. Thank God. Because... I know there are people out there who are in the let's cower in fear in our houses until there's a vaccine crowd, which um, N 
Oh, <laughs> there is no way we should do that. Do you want to completely destroy the economy? We can be safe and still live our lives. My God. So I'm glad someone finally had some sense to start doing things again. Because, and look, individual states are starting to reopen. And thank God, Georgia is one of the first. And I'm kind of jealous because they're just jumping straight in. I desperately need a haircut. And they're opening salons back up already. So I am jealous of those people in Georgia. I know not all of them are opening, but they have the option to reopen. And I am super jealous because my hair is a mess and I need to deal with it. Anyone who knows me knows I hate when my hair gets long and I'm about like, I'm about like three weeks past the point it starts to get on my nerves. So I've been having fun. So hopefully it won't be too much longer for either them to reopen in Maryland or that I could just finally invest in a pair of clippers and do it myself. But that's beside the point. One of the other very good stories that has dropped this week, not one, but two colleges have announced their intentions to have students on campus for the fall semester. University of Idaho. That name doesn't carry a whole lot of weight when it comes to other colleges, but University of Missouri does. Not as individuals themselves, but more the fact that they are a member of the SEC. And I think as one SEC school goes, the entire conference goes, and as the SEC goes, so goes the NCAA. Good. Good, good, good. There is zero reason to not have students on campus in the fall, or at least plan for that to be the case. That's four months from now. In the case of uh, Missouri, almost exactly. Their, their fall semester starts on August 24th, so they are right on schedule to get students back on campus in four months. So that is looking very good for the prospect of college football happening uninterrupted with fans, hopefully in the stadium. I think that's what's going to happen because, like I've said on this show and on Twitter, these politicians and these doctors, for all they do know about certain things, they do not understand human nature. And the snowball that is going to happen once stuff starts to reopen is going to be huge. Once stuff starts to reopen and like you get to what people are calling phase three and you've basically just gone back to normal with some slight changes, give it a couple months, give it a couple weeks People are going to go back to their lives like they always were. And that's what you should do. You should not be cowering in fear of a virus for your entire life. You, that is a very unhealthy way to live. So I'm glad people are planning things 
end. College football is looking like maybe the season gets pushed like a month. And I'm okay with that. It'll be really freaking cold at the end of the season. But a lot of times it's really freaking cold at the end of the season anyway, depending on uh, what part of the country you live in. Uh, I know from experience, the last game of the season for Liberty Games is usually very cold. So moving it back a couple extra weeks is probably not going to do that much to make it any worse. And that's that's most of the country. The Big Ten, that might be a bit of a struggle for maybe like the northern half of the Big Ten. That might be a little rough. <laughs> Playing a game outdoors in Michigan in December doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, but my God, it'll be great TV. <laughs> it'll be great TV. Could you imagine that? I mean, remember the winter classic from, uh, I want to say, I want to say 2012. It was either 2012 or 20. No, it wasn't a bit. It was either 2012 or 2013. I think it was 2012. Cause yeah. Cause the 2013 one got canceled because the lockout. Yeah, the 2012 Winter Classic at the Big House was a spectacle. It was like watching hockey in a snow globe. If you get that for a Michigan game at the end of the season, oh boy. Yes, sign me up. I wouldn't want to be in the crowd because it'd be freezing, but I will watch that on TV because that'll look really cool. And I want the season to start on time, don't get me wrong. But if it doesn't, it's not going to I don't think it's going to move back that far. I don't think the NCAA lacks lacks the balls to only push the season back a month. I don't think they're going to push it back all the way to January. I've heard some rumblings about that. There's no way the NCAA lets that happen. It's an idea that they're kicking around, but there there's no reason right now in April to talk about pushing the college football season all the way back to January. That's four months. That's four months from now, pushing it another four months from when it's supposed to start. No, there's zero reason to make that decision right now. I think right now you plan for the season to start late August, beginning of September. And when, and if that has to change, we'll know by the beginning of June, which I think by the beginning of June, we'll know it's probably going to be okay to play in September. Just just more than likely. But I think I think the snowball is going to kick off, at least with colleges saying, yeah, come back to campus in the fall next week. Like, I think University of Georgia and all of the other public Georgia colleges will say next week, okay, we're coming back. I think Alabama and Auburn will not be too far behind. I think Mississippi and Mississippi State will be right there with them, as well as the other the other Mississippi schools, then Texas, then the rest of the SEC, and then the ACC will follow suit because they have a lot of the same footprint. And then all the G5 and FCS conferences in that part of the country will make that choice. And it'll just roll its way across until the very end, the Pac-12 finally grows a pair and tells uh, the California politicians to shove it and let us play because we're going to have students on campus in the fall. 
Because let's be real here. These guys have more power than they think. We all know they do. College administrators and athletic directors have much more power than they let on. Guaranteed. So I'm thinking we're going to have college football right on time when it is supposed to happen. That first weekend of September, I will be sitting on my couch watching Liberty get absolutely stomped by Virginia Tech. And I will be just fine with that. (laughs) I will be 100% okay with watching my team lose to Virginia Tech again. Because I know I'll be watching college football and in a week they're going to stomp some other poor saps who uh, come to William Stadium because they're they're facing North Carolina A&T in week two. They're going to stomp those poor guys. (laughs) But I legitimately think college football is going to start on time with fans in the building because really by the end of September, people aren't going to care. The, in other news, in baseball news, Steve Cohen is back with a new offer to basically save the New York Mets because let's be real here. If, A-Rod and Jennifer Lopez bought the New York Mets, they would look similar to the Marlins. And that highly likely and probably very messy divorce that could very well come down the road for the two of them, the Mets would be part of the argument. That would be some great sports drama, but for the sake of the Mets, they should probably sell to Cohen. (laughs) Because... He's already a minority owner, and he's sick of the Wilpons being terrible owners. I think it would be kind of funny if they get less money than they had originally intended out of this deal. And they don't have the five-year transition of power thing. They just give up control to Steve Cohen immediately after he takes ownership of the team, which is what they should do, because they are some of the worst owners In all of professional sports, which, why does New York attract such bad owners? (laughs) Two of the worst owners in sports are New York teams. James Dolan and the Wilpons. How does New York attract such terrible owners? I don't get it, but it's kind of funny to laugh at them. It won't be as funny to laugh at the Mets anymore, because if Cohen does end up being the buyer, and he does what most people think he's going to do with that team. The Mets are actually going to be good because they could be very good. Like city field is a really nice ballpark. You're in New York. Also you're in Queens. So it's a lot safer to go to city field than it is to uh, go to Yankee stadium. I know I've been to Yankee stadium at night and I'd rather not do it ever again because that was horrifying walking back to the bus from from that stadium. If I were going to go to a ballpark in New York, I'd much rather go to City Field. It's just the team sucks. If Cohen is the one to take over, the Mets are actually going to be good within a couple years. It'll take no time at all for the Mets to turn things around because Cohen has a track record of spending money just because he can. And 
that could come back to bite them where they just go after names that don't pan out. But he also won't be cheap and hire bargain bin players and managers. So uh, I don't think Mr. Met is going to be flipping off fans in the near future if this deal goes through. And I think it should for the sake for the sake of baseball because as much as I hate New York, having two good teams in New York is a good thing for baseball. And just having someone to take a little bit of shine off the Yankees is 100% okay with me. So hopefully the Wilpons are smart and they sell to Cohen rather than selling to A-Rod and J-Lo. Because while that would be very funny, it wouldn't do much to help the Mets. And one final piece of news that has made me very happy the NHL has a very legit plan to come back and not and not only have the playoffs, but finish the regular season. Finish a full 82-game regular season and have playoffs. And while I'd rather it be in the real cities, hey, at least it's something. And they plan to start in July, so depending on how things go, even if you're doing neutral arenas you could probably get at least a few fans in the building. It'd probably be more like a March Madness atmosphere rather than a true NHL playoffs atmosphere where it's not as loud. But if you get like pockets of fans from from multiple teams, like if you have, say, in the Eastern Conference playoffs, you have a pocket of Flyers fans, pocket of Bruins fans, pocket of Rangers fans, pocket of Penguins fans, more than likely... In the Flyers-Penguins games, everyone else is going to be cheering against the Penguins. Because everyone hates the Penguins. And it would be amazing. It would... It would be like that, uh... The the Lehigh over Duke upset a couple years ago in the, the tournament. It was in Greensboro. And... As the game went on, you could start to see the UNC fans in the crowd. You could see people in powder blue holding up those brown rollout signs that said, Go Lehigh, because they wanted Duke to lose. I think you'd get a very similar reaction. Like, you'd have you'd have probably Rangers and Caps fans picking up on Flyers fan chants against the Penguins, waiting for the, the Rangers playoff game to start or the, the Caps playoff game to start. That'd be pretty great. That would that would actually be a really fun atmosphere if that's what they did. I know they said they'd have limited fans in attendance. I don't know necessarily what that means, or it's at least a possibility they could have limited fans in attendance. Hopefully, hopefully by July, they're able to just play real playoffs. That would be even... Hopefully by July, they're able to... They do the, they finish the regular season that way, and by the time the playoffs are ready to start, because if they are going to finish the full regular season, they had about a month of games left. So by the time that that uh, resumed regular season is over, you could very well be looking at a situation where you can actually have real playoffs in the real arenas with fans in the building, and. If that happens, and I turn that game on NBC, 
I would probably start crying. I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen. That's still a few months away. But if that does happen, there would be many tears happening while I was watching the Flyers game. I mean, if the playoffs go well for them, if they do happen, that's probably going to happen anyway, because before the season stopped, they were odds on favorites to win the Stanley Cup in most metrics. So if the Flyers do win a Stanley Cup this year, after the season got stopped in the middle of March and it didn't come back until July and the Flyers just end up winning the Stanley Cup in the middle of August. Yeah, there will be tears. (laughs) There will be lots of tears. And if there is able to be a parade in Philly, I will be there. I will 100% be there screaming my lungs out for the most ridiculous championship story in the history of sports. I mean, I know that's months away. I know that's my pipe dream, optimistic Homer prediction, but let me have this. Okay. (laughs) That image is getting me through this. The, The image of standing somewhere on broad street with all these people decked out in orange and black and the flyers coming down on some like fire truck or something with the Stanley cup. That is what's getting me through this. <laughs> that might not even happen, but visualizing that has actually really helped. So actually that's an interesting thing to leave on for the sports fans. Obviously, what are you guys visualizing for the return of sports or the return of your team? What are you guys visualizing to help get you through this where you can't really leave your house and there's no sports on? What what are you guys doing? I, I told you mine. It's, it's that Flyers Championship Parade. What about you guys? Let me know on Twitter, at RealPatterson50, at Mashup underscore pod. You could join our Discord, trying to pump some life into that. And if you really want to support the show, check out the Patreon. That w- I would really appreciate that if you could... If you go could go over to the Patreon, and if I get more patrons on Patreon, I will add better tiers because I will be able to buy better equipment to do more stuff and churn out more and more content for my listeners. So if you guys want to support the show even more, check me out on Patreon. If you can't do that, tell your friends, follow the show on Twitter, like the show on Facebook, spread the word. For all your your gamer friends who also like sports, let them know. I would really appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed the draft last night. I'll have my opinions about it both on Twitter over the course of the entire weekend and in the big draft recap show on Tuesday. But until then, have a great weekend. Enjoy the draft. Enjoy whatever else it is you're going to watch this weekend. And I will talk to you guys on Tuesday. See you then.